Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everybody, I want to take a quick minute to tell you something that I'm really excited about. I've recently teamed up with Hitched Inc., one of the biggest and fastest growing tech startups in oil and gas. You've probably seen them all over LinkedIn. From generators to light towers, pumps to forklifts, use Hitch to pair your company with reliable rental suppliers and eliminate the hassle of logistics through the use of an in-app platform. Hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to schedule a demo. Well, welcome to this week's episode. We're here in the virtual world with Miguel Pina. Is that how you pronounce it, Miguel? Got it. Dead on. Yeah. Awesome. President at 10X Technologies, LLC. Miguel, how are you doing this fine, lovely day? I'm doing great, man. Can't Good. complain. Nice. It's nice and sunny out and the weather's warm. So Okay. Good. Up in Philly, right? That's right. Okay. Yeah, we're based right outside of just western suburbs of Center City, Philadelphia. Very nice. Very nice. Well, I mean, I grew up watching Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, so that's right away I connect the dots there. And, and then you know, Kevin Hart's a comedian out of Philadelphia, and I admire him a lot. I think he's hilarious. and He's done a lot of great things for the, you know, the comedy community. So that's how I connect you know, the Northeast. Um, those, but we, strong connections. Yes, I don't know how I forgot Rocky too. Yeah, that's obviously, you know, I think that's in everyone's hearts. I grew up, you know, anywhere from, you know, the 80s into even now. I think that's a legend that'll live on forever. So, but before we get going, I want to highlight some neat technology provided by our new sponsor, Technip FMC. They've been providing high pressure flexibles to the energy industry since 1979. They're delighted to introduce their SA Flex onshore flexible portfolio to enhance completion projects economics. As part of their surface technologies integrated systems, SAF Flex leads 80% fewer connections, 50% fewer components, ultimately lowering rig time up to 50% by transitioning the energy industry. So a big shout out to Technip FMC, our new sponsors for the oil and gas onshore podcast. So Miguel, are you an Eagles fan then? I'm not. So I was, okay. uh, I'm originally from New York. I was born in Queens, New York. Uh, nice. Raised in northern New Jersey, a stone's throw away from Giant Stadium. Yes. Um, okay. I've been a Giants fan my entire life. I picked a tough city to go to college and grad school and a city to eventually <laughs> call, call home, which is why I've been in Philly now for over 25 years. So this is home for me, but I'm still a Giants fan. Nice. So, man, I haven't followed the Giants for so long. We have some na- actually some really good friends some family friends, our daughters are the same age and they're from New York. And he, his name is Dave. He's a diehard Giants fan. And anytime I talk to him throughout the football season, he's not real pleased with the performance. So how are things looking on your end this year? I mean, obviously with the trade rec- or with the draft recently, I mean, anything good coming out of the, your neck of the woods or what? Some questionable draft picks, I would say. Um, yeah. I like the picks. I'm not sure I like the order when they were picked. Okay. I think I would have went with somebody else for the, on our first pick in the, in the first round. Yeah which was the fourth pick. But generally speaking, I think they filled a lot of voids and, you know, I think it looks promising. I'm excited. Yeah. Well, I don't know if it can get much worse than the Texans. So I'm not, I'm sitting here just waiting for, you know, whenever they decide to get rid of Bill O'Brien and start doing something positive. But I don't think he listens to this podcast. I don't think he would really care anyways, but I know there's a lot of locals around here aren't too pleased with what he's doing, but Hey, you got to give it up to the guy. He's made it to the NFL. So he's obviously done something right. That's right. So, um, 
Well, look, so you're from New York, but so I actually lived in, and I don't know if I mentioned it, I lived in PA back in 2010 and it was an interesting experience. So I went from Calgary to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, lived downtown for like a little over a year. And that was right when the Marcellus Shale was booming and it just started kicking off. And it was interesting because up until that point, oil, it's funny though, because I think one of the first oil and gas wells was just drilled in Pennsylvania, like way back in the day, right. but uh, it had, where is it from? Titusville, Pennsylvania. It was the that, first oil well. Yes. Yes. So, so, I mean, they kind of, you know, that's where it all started. But since then, the economy has been driven by other means of like, you know, manufacturing and you got the steel mills, but oil and gas was not very favorable, or at least when I was there. And so I quickly found that out. And so I had to kind of dance around when I would go to different places like restaurants or even getting a haircut or just anything that kind of involved some interaction with people. They'd say, oh, you know, you, you don't sound like you're from here. Where are you from? And oh, I'm from Canada in the energy industry. And they're like, oh, like, are you in fracking? Like, no, uh, I'm in drilling, but that does happen. And so there was a lot of, it was telling the oil and gas story um, (laughs) was what I spent most of my time doing when I was up there. But by the end of it, and even up until now, I think people have adopted it. But what, you know, being that you're in oil and gas and you specialize in completions, what's it like? Like, tell us a little bit about how that works up there and and sort of the work, like, what people's perception of oil and gas is up there? Yeah, it's a good question. You look at Pennsylvania, it's a pretty, it's a large state, right? And the two major cities are Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. Philadelphia is all the way on the East Coast. I should say the Eastern border of Pennsylvania, closer to the East Coast. We're probably about an hour from the coast, but we're about 90 miles from New York City. So Philly is a lot of that New York influence. Pittsburgh is on the far western part of the state, so closer to Ohio, and they're very similar cities in terms of their blue-collar nature and you know hardworking blue-collar cities, really neat kind of cultures. But when you look at where they're located, you know Pittsburgh may as well be in a different state. You also look at you know the Marcellus Shale and the Utica, and none of that overlaps or or is under you know the geology in the southeastern part of the state, which is Philadelphia. Right. So no oil and gas in greater Philly at all. <laughs> so the industry almost like doesn't even exist here. Yeah. Um, so it's really kind of weird place for us to be. We got into oil and gas somewhat by accident. I'd like to say, you know, we took the scenic route to get into the industry. So that's why people, I get the question all the time, like, why are you guys in oil and gas and you're in Philly? Like, how did that happen? And the answer is we've always been in Philly. <laughs> this has always been home for us. And we just happen to get into the industry. Yeah. Uh, by kind of a, a backdoor entrance. Hey, that, you know, and that's okay. I mean, it's, you know, you'd be surprised. There's a lot of oil and gas companies kind of spread throughout the United States. So it's not uncommon. It's just, you know, it's always interesting to hear kind of why, you know, it tell us. So you you went to, you said you went to university in Philadelphia. Is that right? Yeah. So I went to a small business school right outside of Philadelphia called Widener University. I also went to grad school there. I got offered a grad assistantship right after I finished and mm. uh, stayed, got my MBA, still remain very, very involved with my alma mater. And yeah, that's what kind of got me into business in general. And then ultimately the company that I worked for found its way into oil and gas. Okay. So did you, when you were going to school, you said you were going to school for business. Did you know, or did you have an interest in oil and gas at all? Or did it? No, no, I, I didn't. I didn't know much about the industry, to be honest with you. And I didn't know much about the industry get coming out of college and grad school. So I started out working for a commercial real estate developer 
local entrepreneur here in, in the greater Philadelphia area, built a large real estate company in 2006. His name's Mike O'Neill, by the way. He's been a great mentor and you know, I still work for him today. Okay, um, nice. In 2006, Mike sold his real estate assets and had this idea, a strategy of going out and buying kind of mining operations hmm. really for the real estate. And our goal was to go out and buy, you know, aggregate mines at the time is what we were focused on. If we can find these large pieces of land that kind of surrounded the operations, we could acquire the entire operation, run the, the mine or the quarry until the end of its useful life or until the permit expired. And in parallel, we can get the real estate kind of approved for a higher and better use. And <laughs> it was a real estate play. And somewhere along the way, we stumbled upon a frac sand mine in the middle of Nebraska, which, okay. it, which was clear we were never going to develop for real estate. It was really just frac sand. And so we didn't know anything. We didn't even know what Fraxan was, but <laughs> studied it. We learned about the industry. We realized that there was an opportunity. There was a shortage of Fraxan at the time. This was 2006, 2007. Fracking was just really unconventional and horizontal drilling was really just kind of at its infancy stage at that point and really starting to proliferate. And the demand for sand was skyrocketing and there just wasn't enough supply. So we saw an opportunity to really, you know, add value and develop a, a mine and a product that our, our customers needed. And we jumped in head first and it was initially like something we could diversify in, but what ultimately ended up happening is we, we fell in love with oil and gas and we built a pretty large frac sand mining operation that produced about 9 million tons of frac sand a year. Wow. Built a customer base. And then along the way, we started a technology company, which is really coatings for the sand. So either directly or tangentially related to sand, we were focused on those types of technologies. Mm -hmm. And we built a coatings business, which was really great. We sold a lot of resin coated sands. These companies still exist today and they still sell resin coated sands today. And then we wanted to get into diversify even further and get into specialty chemicals. Okay. Uh, Why is that? For oil and gas. You know, sand, frac sand was a, a great business when we first got into it, but quickly it became fully commoditized. Competition was increasing in basin sand mines were opening up left and right. And we just saw an opportunity. We just felt like we needed to be more important to our customers than just another sand supplier. And so we always wanted to be at the forefront of like new technologies, new innovation. And we felt, you know, when you look at mechanically what industry has done in oil and gas, it's really fascinating how mechanically they've been able to drill, you know, two, three mile laterals. You know, when you look at stage spacing, you look at well spacing, you look at sand concentrations, you look at what they're, you know, everything that they've done mechanically to try and get more oil out of the ground. It's really fascinating and the accomplishments have been incredible, but they're still only getting, you know, at best 10% of the hydrocarbon that's in the ground. So we're just convinced, right. you know, the next step change in oil and gas has to be a chemical. And we wanted to be a part of that. So we thought getting into the chemical business, especially chemicals for oil and gas, gave us another opportunity to diversify our product offering for our customers. Now, we initially wanted to do it as one company under the same umbrella. It didn't work out that way. Our equity partners at, at our sand mining company didn't want to invest in specialty chemicals. So our founder, Mike O'Neill, and myself and our other partner, we pivoted. Yeah got into the specialty chemicals business ourselves. Awesome. And so that's what brings us to today. And, and that's 10X, right? 10X Technologies? That's correct. Awesome, that's man. So, I mean, 
when doing that, what was the biggest challenge, you know, starting off, not necessarily from scratch, because it seems like there was somewhat of a natural transition into getting onto the chemical side of it and the technology side of it. But, but what was the biggest challenge going through that? And what year was that actually before I asked? Yeah, good question. So we, so 10X was founded in 2016. Okay. Um, and we didn't get into our first well on a trial with our first product, which was NanoClear. We did not get that first trial until late 2017. So that's the answer to your question. The biggest challenge is getting yeah. something that tries totally different, unique, new, innovative product that's never been tried before. So wow. nobody wants to be a guinea pig in the industry. You know, there's a lot, so, of, a lot of operators want to be fast followers, but they don't want to be the ones that they try for, for obvious reasons. Of course, right? Because there's obviously, you know, there's a heavy amount of risk involved and not even, you know, to talk about the cost perspective of it. But so did you have like existing customers that trusted you and trusted your team to say, hey, look, we'll give you a trial? Like, because I think that's what a lot of people, you know, including you know, myself and everyone has thoughts one day like, oh, you know, like I'm working for so-and-so and, I, you know, I'm making money for them and I see how it's all done. Like I should just go do this myself because I'm, you know, all this money that's coming in, I don't get to see, you know, a fraction of it. But, you know, to be able to go and, and actually do that and have someone commit to you, what would your recommendation be for folks that are looking to jump out on their own? And we'll talk more about 10X, but I think this, especially right now, I think a lot of people are reevaluating their situations and they know what kind of value they add into the marketplace, but they may not have a company that's able to support them right now due to the market conditions. But, but what does that look like? And can you talk about what maybe some things people can consider before making that jump and what they should have in place from a business perspective before making a jump to doing that? Yeah, that's a great question. Look, I think our success with 10X is absolutely a tribute to the customers and the relationships that we built at our Fraxan mining company. Hmm. Uh, No doubt about it. We had 10 years of experience with Fraxan and resin coated sands. And, you know, we had a lot of deep rooted relationships contractual, but also on a personal level. I mean, a lot, I have a lot of great friends in the industry that all were either at one point or to this day, customers. Mm. Our, so I think the, the biggest thing for us was, you know, we built our entire business on trust and transparency, and building strong relationships. And I think that was the foundation that helped us get into a totally different space within the oil and gas industry and, you know, ultimately led to successful commercialization of three products, which is what we have today that we've, we've commercialized. Even then that still took us, you know, it still took us over a year to get in our first well. Right. So it wasn't easy, but I absolutely feel strongly that those relationships that we built in our previous life have everything to do with the success that we've had in 10X today. That and, you know, accompanied by the fact that our products are good. They're good technologies. They're innovative. They're new and they work. We have you know, proven field data that proves our products are adding value to our customers. So I think initially, you know, the trust, transparency, and the relationships that we have with our customers, I think helped us get those initial trials. Yeah. But you have to have a product that works and brings value. If you don't have that, then, then you have nothing. Yeah. No, that's a great point, man. So what do you find like right now, obviously? Well, So with your customer relations, are a lot of your customers down here in the Gulf Coast, you know, typical, you know, Houston, Dallas, Midland, Oklahoma, like this region, how are you able to do that from all the way up there? Or do you have people down here on the ground or what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. So we had, we're based here, but we do have what we call in-basin sales reps. 
or in-basin referral partners. So we have contractual relationships with individuals or companies that help sell and promote and distribute our products. Ah, okay. They're all, you know, we have folks in Houston, we have folks in, we actually have a contract rep in, in West, West Texas, out of Midland, Oklahoma City, Denver, Calgary, Canada. Cool. So, yeah, so we have reps that represent our products kind of scattered throughout the oil field. And gotcha. Helps, they, they help kind of give bridge that that distance. They're the liaisons for our company. Gotcha. Okay. So does so is 10x provide products to other service companies who then give it to the end user, or do you guys deal directly with the end user? We do both. Okay. We have some service companies that rep our products, some under private label, and then we also have some contract reps that are just either individuals or firms that sell our products on our behalf as 10x products. Okay. Interesting. No, that that's good to know. And I, you know, it's because oftentimes we have some good folks that come on here and it's like, we've never even heard of you. And it's like, well, in fact, it's actually on your location. You just didn't realize it, you know? So, but no, that's cool. Well, let's talk about the technology, man. I'm anxious to hear about it. Obviously right now we're in unprecedented times with regards to, you know, whether it's shutting in wells, you know, fracking is coming to an almost screeching halt, but you know, just in general, tell us about some technologies that's unique to the market and how you're actually adding value through these technologies. Sure. So the first product that we launched is NanoClear and it was our, our flagship product. It's the one we commercialized it. Our first well was in 2017. And since then we've been, the product's been pumped in, in over 160 wells. And we've got, we've collected a lot of information, a lot of data. We've been able to zone in on where the product's going to be most effective, where it works best and kind of what the sweet spots are. But it's essentially a nanoparticle Technology. So nanotechnologies, the science is proven. We didn't invent it mm-hmm. for a long time. The challenge with nanoparticles has always been stability. You know, how do you get these nanoparticles to remain stable and evenly dispersed in some medium, in our case, a fluid, so that you can deliver it downhole for multiple or various applications? And our team of PhDs and scientists figured out how to do that, how to stabilize the nanoparticles in a formula. And our formula, our patent is for more than one nanoparticle, stabilized with tiny bit of other chemicals for stability. And those nanoparticles interact with each other and they interact with the polarity of the formation. And essentially what they do is they create energy, they vibrate, they condition the formation. So they alter wettability long-term or displace more hydrocarbon. And they also aid in, in mechanically removing organic depositions like paraffins, asphaltines, different types of bacteria or waxes that build up in, in existing wells. So we have different formulations for NanoClear. We have one that's basically a restim chemical, production chemical. So you pump it in existing wells and it helps kind of rejuvenate that well. It also helps inhibit the growth of formation damage. So if it cleans it out, but it also slows the growth down. So the need to retreat is you have more time in between the amount of time you need to retreat. So unlike a solvent where you have to repeat, you know, do repeat treatments, yeah. you know, our product, you can have wider amount of time in between treatments. Hmm. So that's, that's a value add. Yeah. Uh, we also have a frac fluid additive formula where you pump our product in with your frac fluids and it helps, again, alter wettability long-term. The nanoparticles, the benefit of nanoparticles is they, they're long-lasting, right? So that mechanism, that interaction with the formation lasts a long time. You know, typically you're pumping a surfactant, operators are pumping a surfactant, you would replace a surfactant with our product. And the value there is surfactants typically wash away within 30 to 60 days. And, you know, we've seen 
increases in production, improved water cuts beyond 180 days, in some cases beyond a year. Wow, that's impressive. And so, you know, with that being said, I mean, with regards to well shut-ins, and you may have touched on it already, but are you guys seeing a lot of demand for unique technology in that space? Because there's always this concern, or it sounds like there's a bunch of concern right now with, oh, you shut the well in, especially with, you know, unconventionals, and you may have a damage mechanism that's happening. But like, knowing what I know about reservoir, which isn't much, but like, I could see that being in like, you know, Canadian applications like SAG-D, which is steam-assisted gravity drilling, where you have like super, super thick, you know, oils or you know, stuff like EOR maybe, but with unconventionals, like, and I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? And, and if so, like, are you, cause you guys have some stuff that I remember you mentioning, you know, about that being able to help this, the industry with this challenge that we're faced with, with having to shut in all these wells. Yeah. Yeah. So shutting in production is, you know, it's just the reality. Unfortunately, a lot of operators are forced to do so if the well, if the wells aren't profitable. So the question is, you know, there's risk there. No one really knows how these wells are gonna are gonna perform once they bring them back on. In fact, there's a lot of risk that they don't come back and perform the way they were performing before they got shut in. Mm. So we just launched the marketing campaign for our NanoClear to be used for shut-in wells. You know, we have enough data, enough empirical data, enough field history, enough experience now with this product that shows not only in the lab, but also in the field that. A, we can inhibit the growth of formation damage, and B, we can the nanoparticles have a long-term effect. So those two things alone give us, you know, clear indication that pumping nanoclear into a well before you shut it in could have some pretty significant benefits. So we're marketing nanoclear right now, formulation of nanoclear for shut-in wells. We think it could bring a lot of value, and it, we think it could be, you know, really cost-effective option, cost-effective insurance per yeah. se. Yeah, no, that's going to be huge. And I mean, <laughs> I can imagine the amount of, the amount of, I guess, paranoia or a lot of questions that operators have, hopefully, you know, by pumping this kind of stuff and through other, I don't know if, you know, that's obviously a, a chemical solution, but I'm sure there's a number of different factors that need to be considered. But, you know, it sounds like if that application works, that's a huge win for you guys. And so I'm anxious to hear, hopefully, you know, in the next, <laughs> I don't know when they but people plan on bringing these wells back online, but it'll be interesting to hear, you know, what kind of production rates we see and, and the ultimate effect. But man, it's, it sounds like you guys have done all the right research and, and, you know, spent the time to make sure that this technology works. And so, hell, you I mean, you could be saving some serious money for people, which is obviously a huge win for you guys. You know, so outside of that part of it, how does 10X capitalize on the downturn? And, and is it challenging for you guys right now looking at obviously, and I'm not saying obviously, maybe not, but you know, everyone looks like they're drawing down their revenue just because of lack of activity. How do you maintain, you know, as president of the company, what kind of, you know, message are you sending and how are you really making sure that you guys remain strong with a good amount of value add for your people that are providing service to your customers to make sure that you make it out on the other end of this thing? Yeah, no, that's, you know, it seems to be the million dollar question, right? And that's the biggest challenge for all oil and gas companies, whether you're an operator or a service company providing some sort of product, you know, how do we weather the storm, right? And, you know, you got to have stamina and you got to have endurance. But, you know, one is I think these markets tend to kind of force you to run, to be really disciplined and running your business, you know, watching cash, watching your expenses, forces you to really focus on 
you know, what products or what formulas or what niches you can either either already exist or you can tap into that really drive value for your customers. And when you add it all up, these are things we should be doing all the time, right? Even in a, in a hot market, you know, it's yeah. just easy to get dead complacent when things are good. But I think these markets tend to bring a lot of discipline back into you know, running a business. And, you know, I think it's good. It's good for all. For us, we're obviously had to make some changes to really position ourselves to weather the storm. I think we've done that now. We have a great team, a core team that is working on what I like to say is things that are moving the ball forward, right? I don't, the idea of creating busy work just to keep people busy doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so yeah. I really want me included, you know, I want to spend my time every day working on things that, you know, are really right in line with our company's mission. And, you know, I think we're doing a good job of that right now. We're focused on these marketing campaigns. We're focused on shutting wells, right? Which is a new application for us. We're focused on, you know, making sure that we're studying all the data that we gather from whether it be public data or data that we get from operators directly from our trials and really analyzing that data to figure out where our products are going to be most effective and where they're not. Mm-hmm. You know, the oil, so many variables in, in, the oil, in, in oil wells, right? It's yeah. One, it's all. And it's not like we have this, you know, product that's going to work in every single application, you know, so really just trying to trying to narrow zone in on the the areas and focus on the areas where we know our products are going to drive the most value and then target those areas for our customers. You know, it's all about generating, you know, lowering costs and generating efficiencies for our customers, especially, you know, in this market when, you know, you can get or the price of oil is is so low and our customers are not profitable or struggling to stay profitable. We have to develop products that can help them. Yeah, no, it sounds like you've got the right strategy moving forward. And, you know, hopefully we get out of this thing. I mean, obviously supply looks pretty, it looks pretty heavy still, but I know there's big cuts coming around the corner. So hopefully we can slowly curry our way back to $20 oil, which sounds funny, but you know, even if we got to 35, 40, I think a lot of people would be happy, but until then we just got to, you know, do more for less. So, you know, with regards to the future, I mean, I'm sure you guys have these conversations, but you know, what does the future look like for 10X? Like if you had a crystal ball in say five or 10 years, is it, you know, are you going to continue to diversify or, you know, like, you know, tack on, maybe do some acquisitions? Like what does the future look like for you guys? If, you know, if you had a crystal ball? Yeah. So for us, I would say in five to 10 years, if I had a crystal ball, 10X would look like a much more diverse specialty chemical supplier. We'd have rolled out another four or five products in addition to the three that we already have. And those products that we have in our portfolio would either be developed organically in our own R&D facility here in, in Pennsylvania or through acquisition. We're always on the lookout for M&A opportunities. We're well-funded and we have the ability to raise capital fairly quickly to be able to tack on you know, either an existing company or technology that you know, needs help either commercializing yeah. or expanding their, their reach, using our platform to do that, or you know, scientists that developed a really cool technology out of their own garage, something that we can kind of <laughs> take market fairly quickly and commercialize fairly quickly. Yeah. Uh, we'd be really interested in that and having conversations with those folks. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's good because I, I feel like a lot of times people have stuff in their back pockets, but they don't know how to 
you know, because there are scientists and maybe their networking abilities aren't quite there. But I always like to ask the question because sometimes you can help connect the dots. So that's interesting you say that. Would you guys ever branch out of oil and gas? Is there any applications for what you do in other industries? We would. In fact, in this market, we're exploring those avenues. Uh, <laughs> right. Have to, right. So we're looking at what other applications can where nanoparticles can be effective. Same thing with our other products. You know, there could be some other avenues. I just had a conversation with our one of the inventors of, of our no-hit technology yesterday. Our no-hit is in is a frac hit mitigation technology, but it's in atomized aluminum. So what other applications need an atomized aluminum? Hmm. So one of them is paint for automobiles or like the shininess in paints. You know, okay. And there's also aluminum. So we're having these conversations. You know, it's I want to be careful we don't get distracted. Yes. Right? But if something makes sense and it's something that can help us bring in some revenue, create another product or, or another niche for one of our existing products, you know, I, we'd be foolish not to consider it. Yeah, no. And that's exactly right. Actually, it's funny during the first downturn, you know, my career is in the drilling fluid space and our company, you know, we were a function of drilling rigs, the count of drilling rigs. And so naturally when those go down, we have to either you know, we have to diversify or we have to reduce headcount. But, you know, we were challenged as a company to go figure out where we could, you know, provide solutions with different drilling fluids, chemicals. And, you know, some folks out of Canada found, you know, there was application for something that we do downhole for HDD, which is like under river crossings and stuff like that. So, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I think right now, a lot of people that have been so pigeonholed in oil and gas don't realize either their skill set or some of the technology that they have in oil and gas actually can transfer into other industries. And so like you said, making sure you're not getting distracted because it can be new and exciting to then focus all your energy on something else. But the reality is, is, you know, we adopt technology from outside oil and gas and we also need to make sure that we market some of the things that we do that's fascinating to other industries because, you know, especially right now in the volatility, I mean, Will we ever see $80 oil again? I'm sure, but when, who knows? But if you can kind of diversify right now, I think is, is certainly something that people need to focus on, or at least, you know, have conversations amongst management to say, hey, let's not, you know, let's keep our eyes and ears open just in case there's opportunity. And if it's, you know, done correctly, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. So good for you guys. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. We like to stay nimble and we like, you know, we have an entrepreneurial spirit that I think plays plays well. So for us, it's really more about just staying disciplined, not being distracted, and focus on opportunities that are really going to move the dial, but also kind of stay in line with the mission of, of what 10X really stands for. But we're also, you know, even in oil and gas, we're looking for other opportunities. You know, like right now our, in our lab, we have one scientist in our, working in our lab. He's a petroleum engineer and he's, he's there by himself, but he's doing testing on using nanoparticles for CO2 floods, which we haven't done yet before. We think nanoparticles can work really well. Our nanoclear can work really well in, for CO2 flood application. Okay. Awesome. So based on that testing, you know, that could be another avenue for us, another niche that we can pursue. Um, Very cool. And that would not be a distraction, right? Because it's the same customer base. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's excellent, man. I mean, right now people have to double down on R&D. I mean, a lot of people don't have the, <laughs> the capital or really the manpower. But if you do, I mean, shoot, now's the time. Is there anything else with regards to 10X that you wanted to relay to the market? And if not, there's a few questions I have on the personal perspective, but I want to give you the opportunity to mention anything else that you felt was valuable. No, I think we covered everything on NanoClear. I just, you know, would be remiss if I didn't give a plug for our two other technologies that we've commercialized. So our no-hit, which is frac hit mitigation. Well, communication obviously is a big issue right now in the industry. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of fracking going on. We understand that. 
but we know it'll come back. So it's a good time to kind of learn about the technology. So we're going to be doing some webinars coming here. We'll post those on LinkedIn. Okay. Uh, so if you could, if, if you're listening, go on our LinkedIn page and follow 10X and then we'll keep you kind of up to speed on when the, we launch these webinars. But our first webinar is going to be kind of an overview of all three products, but then we're going to go dive into really specific webinars by product type. And our no hit is a really exciting product. It's the first product that I've ever been involved in. We've launched a lot of new technologies, even back to our resin coated sand days. It's the first new technology that I've ever been involved with that we have folks reaching out to us wanting to learn more. Usually we're the ones, you know, promoting (laughs) this particular product. People are calling us and saying, Hey, we really want to know about no hit. Or I've been to meetings where we come in and we want to talk about, you know, the the goal was to talk about nano clear or micropropping technology. And they're like, well, Hey, can you guys talk about no hit a little bit more? We'd like to learn a little bit more about that first. No kidding. The quick commercial, it's an atomized aluminum slurry that we developed. We hold a patent. And you pump that slurry into parent wells, right? Right now, the operators are either shutting in parent wells or they're preloading them with lots of water, you know, and then shutting them in to kind of pressurize the depleted zones, the voids, and frack the child well. Okay. In most yeah. cases, you know, at best, that's helping a little bit, but in most cases, it's not helping at all and it's a cost. Our product is an additive to that preload water. So you would pump your load water in pump our no-hit technology with an activator. And once you add the activator, it creates a reaction. Essentially, we generate, the reaction is creates hydrogen gas. And that Mm. hydrogen gas pressurizes the depleted zone above the virgin reservoir pressure. And we can tailor it. We can tailor based on the amount of of no-hit and the type of activator to slowly and gradually maintain or sustain that pressure above virgin reservoir pressure in the parent well while you're fracking your child well. And that does two things. One is it'll, it'll help protect the parent well, maybe even energize with that pressure barrier so the frack hits won't come and essentially communicate with the depleted zones around the parent well. But so that's number one. Number two, it will also help increase the production in your child wells. Gotcha. Um, so it's win-win per se. And, you know, we looked at, read a recent stat up until this whole downturn, you know, I think, 80% of the wells in the Permian, new completions in the Permian were child wells, and they're down, their production is down on average 30 to 40%. So if we can help that improve that stat and protect the parent well, you know, we think this product is going to be a home run. Wow. No, good for you guys, man. That's exciting. I didn't realize, you know, everything that you guys had going on. So definitely interesting to me. And, you know, I'll certainly put the link in the show notes to what you're talking about, different things. And for the webinars, feel free to send me the links. I'll make sure and put those in the show notes as well. So before we wrap up, I want to respect your time. I know we're getting close to 45 minutes, I believe, but you know, so I always ask some questions at the end, but one of the ones I had today was, was when's the last time you've tried something for the very first time? Ooh, that's a good question. I would say a week ago. Okay. Maybe less than a week ago. So my wife and I have been trying to support our local establishments here with takeout. So yeah. And what we found is a lot of these restaurants that are still open for takeout, they're on a limited menu. So so they don't have, in in most cases, they don't have the items that we really love or that we normally (laughs) get. Yeah. So, So I would say I probably, every time we've ordered out, I think I've tried something new. Good for uh, you. Anything real odd lately? <laughs> uh, nothing worth writing home about. But okay. 
Yeah. Hey, you know, and it's funny because I asked that, but I feel like folks, as we get older, we tend to get so stuck in our routines to where like the, the fun and life that we have as kids, everything is new, right? And so I'm always curious, like when have you done something new for the first time? So which is why I asked that. But aside from that, do you have any daily habits? Oh yeah. What's that? I said, we can thank COVID now for getting us to step outside of our comfort zone. Hey, I have so many folks reach out to me that were trying, you know, trying to create content on LinkedIn or start a podcast and they were kind of scared before. So I'm encouraging everyone to just, you know, break down that, that wall and just start doing things you normally wouldn't do. Because at this point, you have to, if you're stuck in the old ways of doing things, it's, it may not, you know, be enough to move the needle anymore. So, but good for you for trying new foods. I give it up to you, Miguel. Another question I have is, do you have any daily habits or routines that help keep you focused and motivated to keep grinding? Yeah. So that's a good one. And I talked about this one at length in these times. Cool. So to the best of my ability, I've been trying to stick to the same routine. So I've been like getting up at the same day and doing the same exact routine that I normally do. Okay. Um, Which is what? When I was not working from home. Um, the only thing I'm not doing right now is jumping on an airplane. Usually I travel a lot for work, so I'm on the road a lot, quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, just get up in the morning, shower, you know, shave, do the things that I do. I have my, I'm a coffee guy, so I have a pretty good espresso machine at home. So nice. Make my espresso. And you know, what I found is it gives me, you know, nowadays it gives me a lot of free time. Right. So once I do that routine, I'm like, okay, now I got like two hours. (laughs) <laughs> nothing to do. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I would say my morning routine and then stick into my workouts, you know, not the same workouts. I had to modify a little bit because I'm home now and I, I don't have access to a gym. Sure. Um, but um, I do have some weights here and a pull up bar and things. So just trying to stick to my workouts. I think for my sanity, that's helped. It's helped me kind of stay motivated and stay focused on on grinding as you that's put it. yeah that's no that's good that's good so i was reading in your linkedin did you play football in college or university because i noticed something about football and athletics right track and field perhaps yeah, yeah. okay so i was football track and field four years i played football ran track i was about 160 pounds soaking wet coming out of high school so the only thing i had going for me was my speed okay that's what helped me get on the field nice uh, yeah, I played at a small school right here, at, right outside of Philadelphia. And that conference, still close with a lot of my old football buddies from college. We have a Facebook thread that we all kind of chime in on. And Nice. Uh, those are the good old days. Hey, it was, man. I grew up playing football and basketball. I started playing flag football when I was like five. And then, you know, all through high school, like, well, you know, junior high, high. And, and I elected to get in the oil field, you know, instead of pursuing a football career, which I don't think I would have made the CFL, so I'm glad I made the decision that I did. But yeah, that's a, that was a huge part of growing up for me as well. But yeah, like you, I mean, my routine, mine is at night trying to get to the into, inside the garage and, and work out. But yeah, my morning routine is certainly a little different, but it's good to establish those routines. And I've heard a lot of people, it helps them to kind of stick with the same routine that they had when they were going to work. So, you know, I've adopted a little bit of that, but, you know, doing my hair and like doing some things that I normally would do, I don't know. I I'm so anxious to get up and start working. So I, maybe I need to like slow down and, and do the things. But hey, if it's working for you, Miguel, that's awesome, man. I, I commend you. Well, one last question I had before we knock out of here. What's This reminded me of one thing I just tried for the first time, and that's cutting my own hair. You did that? <laughs> no way. That sounds military, man. That's badass. It looks pretty good, man. I got to give it up to you. You're not wearing a hat, so that it worked out okay. Well, in fairness, I didn't touch the top, so I can't take too much credit. I just did the sides with the clippers. Yeah. 
I went from like an eight clip all the way down to a one clip. <laughs> you gave yourself a fade, man. I like that. I gave myself a fade and <laughs> it felt so good. Yeah. I think I one more laugh before it starts to look awkward because I haven't touched the top. Oh, boy. So, Hey, it's working for you, man, unless you got some fancy filter on Zoom, but you did a good job. The last time I tried cutting someone's hair was my brother-in-law's and, you know, his hair is a little curlier and it's, you know, he was in high school and we were just goofing off. But anyways, it's, I commend you for that, man. That's good. I haven't, I've talked to my Appreciate wife because, yeah, yeah, I got some guys at work that they have a barber and so they went to our office and the barber came and cut their hair and I was talking to my wife and she's like, no, you know, you should keep growing it out and my hair's pretty long and so... Yeah, I don't know. It's it sounds silly, but it's something to think about, man. I don't know. But one last question I had is, what's something about you that not many people know about? You know, are there any good hidden secrets that you'd like to unleash to the podcast world? Any unique hobbies or something that not many people tend to hear about? That is, you put me on the spot there, Justin. Hey, if you don't have anything, that's fine. I had some people are like, you know what? Like, I'm just a normal dude, and some are like, you know what? I love looking at the stars and looking, you know, for aliens, and like, you never know what you're gonna get. So. If not, then that's all good. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, I know. I definitely could come up with something. I'm thinking on my feet here. I know. I try, I probably should have pre-treated you with that one, but I, no, no, it, it tends fine. to throw people off. <laughs> it, it, it's fine. So I would say the one thing that is probably unique about me or that most people don't know, and I share this in common with my son. My son's really into music. Okay. He's like, like producing his own music. He's really into EDM. Nice. And I like EDM. We share that. We both have an affinity for like EDM and club music. Okay. Um, Being from New York, I grew up listening to it. Most people that I'm, you know, most of my colleagues are not really into it, but a few exceptions. But yeah, my son and I have, we have an affinity for EDM and and house music and he spins all these vinyls and creates his own music and- No way. Good for him. Does he have like a YouTube account or anything we can quickly plug your son in case there's listeners out there that like EDM and house music? He does. He has an Instagram. So if you look up Miguel Pena Jr., okay. uh, we've got another one called DJ Omar, which is, that's another useless fact of the day that most yeah. people don't know about. Hey, that- is Omar and he's a junior. So his, okay. his is Omar too. Nice. <laughs> nice. So my wife actually likes EDM. Like DJ Omar. Let's say that again. He goes by DJ Omar. And DJ Omar. Okay. Well, when he gets residency in Vegas, I'll have to go down and check him out. We'll both go. Yeah. Hey, my wife and I, we like house music and EDM. So whenever we go to Vegas, we usually have a good time, but it's usually what's playing in the cars too. So, hey, you got to like it, man. Well, look, I appreciate your time. Before we kick off, I just want to take a moment to tell everyone about some OGGN upcoming events. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. 
All right. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. So hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And obviously right now with the quarantine, we're not doing it. But as soon as it's back up and running, I'll let everybody know. And if you're looking to get in shape for summer, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Miguel, thanks a lot for your time today. I appreciate the conversation. If anyone's looking to get in touch with you or 10X or to learn more about your products, is the best thing to do get on LinkedIn or your website? I mean, what would be the best, you think? Yeah, LinkedIn. I mean, website's always welcome, but you could download all the case studies. We have a bunch of case studies and field data in our website, which you can download. We have some white papers you can download as well. So I'll give our website a plug. Easiest way to reach me would be my LinkedIn page. And, you know, for all you listeners out there, you know, please follow our 10X page. We got to, we're trying to get our follower viewers up. We're a small company, but we're growing and we're looking to do big things in, in the oil field and bring a lot of value to our customers. So I uh, awesome. appreciate you following us. Yeah, you bet. I'll put your LinkedIn profile link in the show notes and you can't miss Miguel. He's got that clean jawline. So I don't know what you do, but it works, man. <laughs> oh man. Well, look, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to grow a beard like you. Oh man. Don't be like me. Be better than me. This is this. I don't know. This is maybe a little bit of laziness right here, to be honest with you, but it looks good. It looks good. Man. <laughs> Thank you, man. Well, look, Miguel, it's been a pleasure and I certainly like to keep in touch. And for all the listeners out there, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.